I lie to everyone I know, except my victims, right before I kill them. It's hard to establish much of a rapport there. Hello, Dexter Morgan fans, and welcome to the Dexter New Blood Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Reynolds, writer and producer of the Showtime original series, Dexter, and now the new Showtime special event series, Dexter New Blood. Today, we're discussing a very crucial element to Dexter, his antagonist, his big bads, we call them in the room, and some might say deserving targets of his dark passenger. Not everybody, but probably a lot. Joining me in all of their big bad glory is John Lithgow, who played Arthur Mitchell, better known as the Trinity Killer. Hello, John. Hi, Scott. How are you? I am so good, so excited. Ugh, this is great. Yeah. I think this is my first big bad podcast. <laughs> Colin Hanks, who is Travis Marshall, a.k.a. the Doomsday Killer. Hey, Scott. John. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. <laughs> Colin, great to see you. Good to see you. And finally, Christian Carmago, Brian Moser, a.k.a. the Ice Truck Killer and Dexter's brother. Hello, Christian. Hello. Hi. Hi, John. Hi, Colin. You guys have all worked together in the past, huh? That's what That's when right. I told John you guys were on. He was like, oh, my God, this is going to be great. I, I've worked with Christian on stage and Colin in movies. I was Colin's dad in Orange County. That's right. Uh, and <laughs> that's I, right. I was the father of Colin and Jack Black. Yeah, that's right. And, that's Christian, right. <laughs> and in Christian, we played in a, a remarkable production of All My Sons a few years ago on Broadway. Yeah. One of one of New York's great theater actors and one of the best Hamlets in decades. And so Thanks, it, it's, but it's the first time I've seen both of these guys in literally years. This is wonderful. That was when I got the call from someone. Was it you, Scott, or someone else who was like, so you're doing a play with John Lithgow. Um, what do you think? Do you think he would actually do Dexter? And that was actually <laughs> during that play. And I remember talking to you after, like, I don't know, at some dinner or something like that. And all, it was all from that time. Oh wow. God! Yeah. No, and also, by the way, uh, I I I then got married, and John sang our wedding song. So you know that was that's oh, true. That's yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, I, I think it was Moon River with Diane Weist. You and Diane. Yeah, yeah. We uh, uh, he he got married to Juliet Rylance. That's yeah. how we knew them, and they yeah. got married in secret three weeks before we closed and only revealed it to us at our rap party after we ended in a bar. And I said, guys, we're, we're, we're going to sing your wedding song. And yeah, I just yeah, yeah. broke into Moon River, and we all danced. That was it. So and then I was, he started killing people. <laughs> yes, right. That's right. You don't want to invite Trinity to a bar. Bad so things Christian, with hammers happen. But you, you did... You did Dexter a few years after All My Sons, Christian, right? You had done it, and I had not yet seen yeah. it. Yeah, you had seen it. And so I didn't know that you were such a sinister person until I saw Dexter. <laughs> so you wouldn't have seen so it. I thought you were you just a sung. sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, all three of you are like sweethearts. Just, I mean, it's amazing uh, well, what you were able to do on stage. And the three of you are like arguably some of Dexter's most memorable big bads. So I wanted to sort of like start this off with sort of discussing what it was like for each of you to portray these, um, these dark characters. I mean, it's, it's always fun to be the bad guy, but uh, can we start with you, Christian? I mean, you, you sort of yeah. leapt off the page uh, uh, 
when you became Brian Moser and had such great surprises. You want to talk about that for a second? Yeah. Well, it was just super fun to start like a new show. You know, there's no preconception. You can just sort of do whatever you want. And and I mean, to a, to a degree. And I mean, you guys just let me have the latitude and 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 the fun. I think that was what people so much appreciate is that you can't help but love these baddies. You know, they they're just so enjoyable to watch. You know, or uh, and to inhabit. And so. Yeah, it was just it was just liberating to be able to to let loose and have fun and enjoy and really believe that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, man, it was uh, what a journey. You got to also start dating Deb and uh, <laughs> catching everybody off guard. Like I remember when when uh, I, I I would have friends over to watch those episodes, and when it was revealed that. You weren't just this nice guy, limb doctor, <laughs> limb replacement guy. <laughs> yeah. That you were the ice truck killer. People just screamed in the room. Um, oh, it, oh was, yeah. it was. It was so fun. It was yeah. absolutely so fun. Those were good times. And then uh, you know Lithgow. I remember when um, when we when we were first in the room and we were coming we were coming up with the Trinity Killer and the, your name came up. Uh, I've always been a huge fan. And, and but at that point, you had just got done with uh, Third Rock from the Sun. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. So you were hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and people were like, you know, the younger writers were like, wait a minute, are you kidding me? The guy from Third Rock with the Sun? And I and I brought them in the room and I showed them you in in uh, blow up, blow out mm-hmm. as the, yep. liber- the liberty killer, right? Um Well, they, and- they apparently these guys had never heard of the scary clown yet. <laughs> so it's, it's now it's a very familiar trope. But uh <laughs> No, I, I think it's it's the great ingenuity of the of Dexter, the whole premise of Dexter. I mean, Michael himself is such a nice guy, and and in approaching the Trinity Killer and learning a little bit about the various models that the writers used, it was the blandness, the ordinariness, the sort of nice guy aspect of him that made him so terrifying when you found out the truth. And uh, uh, it's just, it's of course, that's a fascinating thing to uh, to to use. And I, I always maintained that having done Third Rock from the Sun, that was a great asset because it made it all the more shocking and surprising. I mean, I had been the amiable, clueless doofus all those years, and people really did know me very well for that. And it's just great to upend. People's expectations is what we all, all of us actors look for a chance to do that. Unlike Travis and Brian, we, you were introduced straight up from the very top of the show as the killer. Like Colin, you were, you were sort of hidden away mm-hmm. in the background. Mm-hmm. It seemed like you were connected to, the, to uh, the Doomsday Killer, but no one thought it was you. And Christian, for sure. No one thought you were Brian. You want to talk about that? I mean, that, that's your, your first day. You want to talk about your first day on set? Just for a second, it's such a good story. I showed up, introduced myself to the crew. I was introduced to this very nice young woman. My job was to, well, to murder her in a bathtub (laughs) with a razor by slitting her femoral artery in a tub full of warm water with both of us stark naked. So I had to march onto the, I sort of, I introduced myself and I sort of tried to acknowledge, wow, this is crazy, isn't it? And then took my clothes off. (laughs) But the showbiz tradition continued because you got naked on the first day. 
which they always make you get naked on the first day. <laughs> if you're going to get naked, it's got to be on the first day because if you don't like being on that show, you're not going to get naked on day, you know, 180. So better get you naked on that first shot. <laughs> That's <all> right. <laughs> Colin, the doomsday killer, Travis Marshall, he just seems like a nice, benign kid, basically, you know, a student yeah. at that. What's funny enough is that that's what it was kind of pitched as. Because, like, as much as people, you know, there are all sorts of fans that love calling me the DDK and all that, but really there's two of us. There's me and then there's Eddie James almost. And Eddie was really the bad guy throughout the course of the season. And it, the show was pitched to me as you're this young man who's, you know, gotten under the influence of this professor and... And you want to please him. And, you know, they're both crazy. Um, they're both, you know, fanatics. Um, but he's wrestling with it. And I sort of said, okay, well, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And so I just sort of wrestled with that. So I, I, I was always looking at, at Eddie as the bad guy, not necessarily me. Did you guys do any, like, research uh, uh, for this role to play a serial killer? Because, I mean, in, in the room, when we were talking about Trinity, uh, certainly the BTK killer came up a lot that sort of yeah. like ordinary sort of human being. But um, you want to talk about your, I, your research I, I, or how you sort of handled that? I had this sense that the writers had done all their research for me. I, I mean, to the extent that uh, I was briefed about that particular model, uh, I was it was very easy to go right for that, you know, a, a genuinely nice, earnest, sincere man who is uh, a fairly low profile, well, a bland man, uh, uh, and I just loved the shock of revealing who he really was. Uh, but it was all in the, in the wonderful writing uh, and in this ingenious plot. I had the most interesting experience when they pitched it to me. I didn't accept it right away. I, 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 I felt like I had to know what I was getting into. First of all, I watched Dexter. I finally saw Christian's incredible season and everything else leading up to season four. And then I sat with Clyde and Goldwyn, you know, the, to the brass, and they at CAA, my agency, and they told my agents to excuse themselves, and they told me uh, the bare bones of the story of the Trinity Killer, the man who killed in groups of three and eventually in groups of four, and and the. the they didn't intend to tell me much, but I kept asking questions, and I hadn't said yes yet, so they sort of had to answer them. And I eventually I was saying, well, but what about the baby, you know? Or, so what about that journalist? What's her story? And before you knew it, I knew all the, revel the big revelations. And then, of course, there's this cultural culture of secrecy around Dexter. You know, nobody knew anything ever except the writers. Michael was an executive producer, so he could have known, but he didn't want to know because he didn't want to know what everybody else didn't know. So I was like, had this terrible secret, which kind of came in handy as a serial killer. And to me, that was completely fantastic because it, it was a set in which everybody was in, was in the grips of suspense. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a discussion we had in the room a lot. It's like, what do we tell people? What, do, which, what should they know? What shouldn't they know? Um, it's just it's interesting you brought that up, Colin. I think when you were talking about getting pitched this role, you didn't necessarily know. Did you know the twist, or did you not know the twist? I I, I seem to think I did, you didn't. I did not know the twist. No, yeah. I did not know the twist. It was it was it was pitched to me as 
they were going to have two bad guys that season. And it was going to be me and, and Eddie Olmos. And he was really the bad guy. And I was sort of a follower of his, but conflicted about it. And it wasn't until the second to the last episode that I found out that, you know, almost didn't exist uh, at all. And it was all, all in his head. Yeah. How do you feel? Like, do, do you wish you had known? Do you think you would have played it differently? Yeah. You know, I've sort of argued both sides of it, to be honest. Um, I think in one way, it's absolutely fabulous that I didn't know. Because Travis didn't know. So, you know, don't give the actor, you know, the information that his character doesn't know, because then maybe he'll try and overact, maybe try and do something that doesn't need to be done, maybe tip his cap a little bit too much. Um, and I, that's sort of the camp that I'm in. But I also understand and have sort of thought, oh, no, I wonder what I would have done had I known that. But in the end, it ended up being a fantastic acting exercise. And it really sort of taught me, just play each scene. Just don't worry about the big arch. Just play the scene that you're in and make sure that scene has a, a beginning and a middle and an end. With, in television, sometimes scenes don't have, you know, they'll have one, but they, they'll have a beginning and an end, but no middle <laughs> yeah. or no end a lot of yeah. times. So it, was a, it was, ended up being a great acting experience just overall. Yeah, it was really, you know, it was fantastic. an exercise. And Christian, how about when you were on the show, you had this sort of like added complication of being related to Dexter and got, like I was saying before, you started dating Dexter's sister, Deb. Um, I want to talk about the, like how those dynamics sort of play in your portrayal of this guy, even though the last time that Dexter and Brian were together, like Brian was uh, eight and it was like eight and five mm -hmm. or eight and four or something yeah. like that. No, I was just trying to orchestrate a family reunion, really. I mean, it was just all about the family, you know? And, um, and so, the, you know, killing was just sort of a, a way to get to close to Dexter, really. Um, I, I don't know. It just, that's how I played it. That's how I imagined it. It was more of a psychological thing about family and having a brother that, and, and dealing with that horrible genesis of finding themselves in a, in a, you know, a shipping container full of blood and a dead mother, you know, and, and what that might do to someone. And, and uh, yeah, really having empathy and compassion for this character. And, and so the murders of killing and all of that, it was sort of, you know, immaterial, really. It was just a, a way to get there. So I didn't really, you know, feel like it was playing a baddie. It was just sort of like, come on, wake up, Dexter, come on. You know, like, I mean, that's sort of the progression of, that it took. And uh, it was really m much, to me, a, a family drama. It, I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> each, of, each of the big bads were sort of bouncing off of Dexter in a certain way. Mm -hmm. With you, definitely, like, family, who, who am I going to love? Because at the top of the season, Dexter says to us in his voiceover that if there's one person I could love, it's Deb, right? Mm. And then in mm. walks his brother. So that yeah. becomes sort of the, the, the wrestling match in his soul, also, so much about identity. Like, who, like who, who are you really? You know, who are we? Who is our public side? Who is our private side? Who are we really? And I think that goes through all of the seasons. And I feel like all of us sort of contain this kind of quite interesting, unique message about who we are. Yeah, each, each one of you, the reason why I want, another reason why I wanted each one of you on the show on this, on this one is because each of you like went after Dexter's family with Christian with Deb, you want to talk about that? Like again, that comes from a weird sense of love, <laughs> right? Yeah, really, just trying to get to Dexter's heart, and you know, uh, <laughs> without eating it, and um, and uh, yeah, and that was that was the way, and it worked. 
I mean, I think he's the best, you know, for me, he was, you know, I really modeled him after Moriarty, you know, like this kind oh. of like, um, oh, yeah. this sort of kind of, sort of in the wings. He had this strategy, he had this incredible, brilliant psychological strategy that he'd been working on forever. And, yeah. um, and, I, and I feel like he planned that to the T, you know, and, and Deborah was the perfect mark. Absolutely. Yeah, because he could, he could have just walked up to him and said, Oh, yeah. Hey, bro. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It had he to, had it had, but he knew that. I mean, that's what I think how brilliant, you know, Biney was. I love that word, Biney. <laughs> yes. um, and so, yeah, that's how, I, that's how I sort of saw it. You know, it was just, it was just strategy all the way. And, and it, was, it worked. Well, he worked it all the way till the end, you know, and then the, the final decision would be, would be up to Dexter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he seemed sort of resigned to it once. Yeah. Yeah, and hurt absolutely. For, for an ice truck killer, he was hurt, yeah, I think, absolutely. by Dexter's absolutely. choice. Do you think he had a code, the ice truck killer, in the same way that Dexter did? Or oh, 100%. I mean, in that final scene where, well, that not, not final scene, but you know, when he's uh, trying to get Dexter to kill Deb, you yeah. know, it's the code of who you are, where who, you know, be honor yourself, be yourself, don't to thine own self, be true, to right? thine own yeah. self, be true, yeah. Yeah, and then the, the Trinity season was all about can Dexter have a family? And then, then he finds this seemingly wonderful man with a wife and kids. And, you know, the truth of that exploded a little bit in the mm -hmm. Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> it was wonderful storytelling. I mean, the way they constructed that plot. I, I really can't think of, uh, of, of any story that's quite so... Uh, where the, the revelations are, are so... Uh, Kind of like orgasmic when they happen. <laughs> the, the 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 incredible Thanksgiving scene when Dexter finally he, he reveals to the Trinity killer that he's the killer, and it all arises out of a squabble at a Thanksgiving dinner table of uh, among the members of my perfect family. That scene it had the the perfect structure of a great Marx Brothers scene or a perfect <laughs> sitcom. And everything starting so civil and, gen and genial. And within three minutes, I'm smashing, Dexter is smashing and the urn and, and taking out a butcher knife and putting a, a belt around my neck and dragging me three, through three yeah. rooms of the house, throwing me on the kitchen floor and putting the knife right up to my neck. And you know, all and we did this an amazing master shot of all this action. And as soon as they said cut every time, Michael and I would just laugh our heads <laughs> off. I mean, it was it was it was such high stakes drama, and it made it so hilariously funny to us somehow. <laughs> it was a result of this extraordinary chess game, the way the story developed. Who is going to find out what about the other? Because yeah. each of them has such a complicated set of secrets. You managed, uh, unlike the ice truck killer, you managed to really cut into the heart of Dexter with, uh, with, with Rita. Again, I go back to the, the writers and the whole conception of the story. Arthur Mitchell had suffered a trauma as a child. And... It was a very complicated series of violent events all connected with the death of his sister. Uh, the accidental death of his sister, but it was a death that he 
witnessed himself and felt responsible for because it involved, you know, a, a, a young boy with the first awakenings of sexual curiosity eavesdropping on his sister at a moment when she she dies in a hideous accident as soon as she realizes her little brother's looking at her. A, a ghastly, psychotic trauma with three other deaths connected with that death. And he is in the grips of this compulsion to reenact four deaths. What I found fascinating, and the, the one hook that I found I could grab onto, was the feeling that, of course, he, he was horrified that this had happened to him as a child, but he'd lived his whole life in the grips of an obsession and a compulsion that he wishes he didn't have. He wishes this had never happened. He wishes he didn't have to reenact it, but he absolutely had to. So that in every single death scene, there was this terrible tension between his agony at committing these hideous crimes and this feeling that, oh God, I wish I didn't have to do this. Oh God, I wish somebody would stop me. I wish this would all be over. To me, that made him a fascinating, tormented villain instead of simply a sadistic villain. And in the storytelling, as he befriends Dexter before he knows that Dexter is involved, has his own demons, he takes Dexter through the experience that he himself suffered. And it illuminates not just Dexter, but the whole viewing audience. Ah, this is what drives him so much. So in a sense, you were, you writers, you figured out a way of explaining him and even making him sympathetic, or at least empathetic. I, I thought that was a really interesting device, and it's what, it, it's what made that particular story so compelling. Yeah, if you don't understand why the bad guy is doing it and why the bad guy doesn't necessarily think he's a bad guy, uh, but that's what, I mean, you're right, though. That is, what's, that is what's weird about the Trinity Killer is that he did think he was the bad guy. Like, you know, he's about to commit suicide yeah. at the end of a cycle Stop at one me. point. Yeah, Stop yeah. Stop me. And, yeah. uh, and and then, of course, the, one of the greatest plot twists ever when he gets his revenge on Dexter by, by completing his, his uh, cycle with Rita. I mean, that, that, cell phone, that cell phone going off in that last scene is one of the, one of the great shocks ever. I mean, you guys were really geniuses at making, at building a huge viewership and then giving them incredible shocks. And then even after all of that, Dexter still thinks, yeah, you know, maybe I still can't have a family. It's going to be all right. You know? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. That ends a dip poorly for him. Uh, and then Colin is sort of like this, Dexter's at this moment in his life, can I have a purpose anymore? You know, and he meets up with this killer that has a purpose, <laughs> a divine yeah. purpose, you know, something uh, bigger yeah, than himself. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think what was great about um, following these guys, the show had been up and running for a long time. So it really wasn't about, you know, what it, I feel like in some ways the show is like, okay, well, what have we already done? And let's push ourselves to try and find something else. And I mean, that goes hook, line and sinker with my character not knowing that he was the bad guy and, and he was imagining somebody, a whole nother personality. And I think just that simple fact alone that Dexter is trying to figure out a purpose 
which is he going to be? What is he going to be? And he comes up against someone who, aside from their insanity, um, has latched onto this fallacy of a much, much bigger thing. Do you know what I mean? A much, much bigger thing to believe in. Um, And I thought that that was a really interesting sort of black and white sort of opposites to sort of play off of. As the doomsday killer, do you think Travis had a code of sort? It's so crazy because I think the idea that he didn't know that he was who he was and, and what he was actually doing, the fact that he was so far gone and really out of his mind. The only thing that I could sort of grasp was that, look, he just has to do these things, that, that this would somehow just make sense to him because he lives by these rules, by the most extreme version of, of, of scripture that you could follow. And so it was, you know, it was one of those scenarios where I really just would lean on, you know, each script and just say, this is what he's doing. This is where I've got to go. And I didn't really have a lot of the, the way that I just sort of saw it. I just always played that he was just conflicted so that he would do anything that Geller said, but that he would be conflicted about it. And I just played to that. I just played to what I felt like he was really wrestling with, which is just conflict. And then it wasn't until the switch, where you know, once he's, he's found out the truth about himself, at that point, what was really fun was being able to play Travis completely differently and really have him be the stone cold killer that he actually was, regardless of how messed up his mind was. And that gave the opportunity to just move different, to just present himself in a a completely different way. The only thing that I really did um, in terms of, of really sort of trying to come up with some sort of tick that Travis had, and keep in mind this is before I knew, but um, some sort of tick he had in regards to that conflict. Um, tra- uh, Travis would always uh, touch his palms and rub his palms. Mm. And that was him just sort of real, that was him sort of telling himself, no matter how uncomfortable I am, uh, when no matter what situation, imagine a nail going through that palm and another nail going through your others. And that, and that was sort of really all I needed to, to just sort of keep going. That and, you know, the incredible writing. Because all of that homework was done. When you're playing a bad guy, there's this great sort of secret, which is you're the bad guy. So everyone's playing to that. It's this amazing safety net. And so I really just sort of played conflicted when I needed to. And then when it was time to be bad, um, you know, that was it. Off to the races. Yeah, that was. It, uh, I remember seeing you uh, when that transformation happened, and how you seemed more upright, more sort of righteous in your cause. Yeah, you know, because this is a man who really does believe, and this is sort of a, a theme throughout the show. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Right? Um, that's mm-hmm. this strange thing that's been sort of like drummed into us in Western Christian culture: the need for sacrifice. Uh, the other like amazing scene when Deb during the during the 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 kill. I want to talk about like being killed by Dexter, basically. That was actually a fun day because I knew that you know what we were doing that day was going to be a massive fulcrum and a changing point for the entire series. You know, yeah. once Deb sort of found out. So once I knew that that was going to be the things where, that people would be focused on, I then was able to just sort of 
again, just sort of lean all in and just play to the fact of the, just how unfair it was to Travis <laughs> that he was being killed, killed in a church. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he wakes up and he, he thinks he's in heaven. I mean, he, you know, yeah. he literally thinks he's in heaven <laughs> and to have that taken away is just like, I mean, it's it, it, that, that soul crushing kind of feeling. Um, I, I, again, I, I was just doing everything I could to just try and just play that disappointment, that extreme disappointment. And then, you know, the disappointment of having to get down into your tidy whities and get wrapped up in saran wrap and just be the most uncomfortable and, and just, you know, I mean... You want to see something funny? See anyone who's been killed by Dexter in between shots, and they're wrapped <laughs> just, up in yeah. they're wrapped up in the, the, <laughs> the you know the, the the cellophane, and they're just sitting in their chair, like not really you know with dinosaur arms, not really able to to move too much. The the whole crew was by you know by in my case the fourth, and in Collins the sixth season, they were so prepared to take good care of us. They primed us. They warned us, you know, it's going to be claustrophobic. It's just, it's the closest thing to like an MRI prep. You know, <laughs> yeah. They just got you all ready. They had the the water bottle with the straw on it to, to minister to you. And But no matter how they prepared you, it is a very paranoid and claustrophobic experience. But it only helped. And also I found that lying on my back that long gave me a wonderful croaky voice. <laughs> my, vo my vocal cords sort of went to sleep. And, and there I was sort of ta subtly taunting uh, Dexter because he did not, not yet know how skillfully I had gotten my revenge on him. The only time Dexter's really ever open and honest is in the kill room. The excitement and the tragedy of Dexter is that pretty much the only people get really get to know him, he gets about an hour, <laughs> you know, and then he kills them. Um, when I talk about like, yeah, yours, Christian, I mean, you, you were, you were, a, that yours, yours was a huge moment. It's probably one of the more emotional kill scenes for Dexter too. Oh, Scott, I, I didn't, I didn't die. <laughs> 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 it's true. I, it wasn't about killing there. It was, it was, it was saying goodbye to the, my brother. And that was, that to me was, it, blood had nothing to do with it. I think that's the thing for me. Just. The, the gore and the blood, nothing. It was all about saying goodbye to my brother. Yeah. There was that one marvelous episode, but actually uh, Clive sent it to me when he was uh, uh, persuading me to take the part. Uh, and it was the death of the character played by Margot Martindale. Mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. she, I, I, I think she the knew she pie. was going to die. And so that, yep. so that her death was Dexter's, it was his, the one kind death, the one merciful death. It was a, a marvelous note to introduce that, that I really think affected the whole series, that, you know, just seeing that little glimpse of Dexter's kindness. Um, you want to talk about any, like, any of your like, favorite moments in your, in, in your series, in your, uh, your times? I mean, John, you already talked about Thanksgiving, but was there any other yeah. moments that you well, I, that stand out? Oh, there are these wonderful moments punctuated by lines of only two or three words, like "Hello, Dexter Morgan," or yeah, "Hi, idea. Dad." "Hi, Dad" was a good one. 
<laughs> you you yeah. just knew that the whole country was going, what? You know, <laughs> uh, just everything building up to something so simple and so short and so powerful. <laughs> I just, I was full of admiration for the writers on those occasions. Oh man, you, you guys made it so. How about you, Christian? Season one, uh, I mean, what well, a roller I mean, coaster. Yeah, what a roller coaster. And also, like, I think John's, John hit it. Like, it's just so sort of precise, you know, the, the payoffs in this show and so sort of spot on. Uh, I mean, you know, from, from the little tokens that the ice truck killer would leave, like the little Barbie doll heads and the Barbie doll bodies. And then, and then I remember throughout the, the, the woman, unfortunately, who I cut up, who had a prosthetic <laughs> arm and, and had different colored fingernails. I mean, you have yeah. no idea what an impact that made on people. I mean, I, I still get strange fake hands sent to me with different colored fingernails, <laughs> you know? So I, I, I mean, it really, it really, but you know, these small little details, they just sort of enhance the show on such a level and so fun to play with. I mean, the fa la 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 the Christmas, I think the Christmas song was my favorite part of my, my when, when, when I Struck Killer sort of dresses up his body parts with Christmas decorations and sings little carols. Um, you know, it's just the, the grotesque fun of it. Colin, Doomsday. Travis? The one that really sort of pops out for me, and it's not even one that I enjoyed doing, to be quite honest, but was when uh, Travis goes on the boat and says, hello, whore, uh, oh, yeah. to uh, one of his victims. It was a, just a weird one to say, a uh, weird thing to say to someone's face. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. um, <laughs> especially someone that I had actually sort of been, you know, had a good time working with. Um, so that was, uh, that was incredibly uh, weird at first. And uh, I think the reason why that particularly stands out is because every now and again, um, someone will come up to me and they will say, will you please walk over to my friend and say, hello, whore. She's a huge Dexter fan. And it's, I just say, I, mm, no, I, I would love to. I would love to be able to, to do that for your friend, but I'm, I'm, with my, I'm with my newborn here. I can't really do that. That's going to be very, very awkward. I mean, that was the great part about you playing that role was that, and is that it's like um, it's like Henry Fonda in Once Upon a Time in the West, where the person who's just like this, you know, America's uncle or America's dad or America's brother, yeah. you know, the nice guy, says that, yeah, which I is mean, why I think it, did, it imprinted in our heads the way it did. I mean, I remember uh, I remember saying very early on, like the more we can make this guy look like a like a Mormon missionary, the better, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Just don't put them in white. Just put them in clothes that work for Miami and just make them look as innocent as we possibly can. Again, I didn't know what the turn was going to be, so yeah. I was just sort of leaning on kind of anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it, was, it was magnificent. It was so fun. Um, and then, John, you got to come back to the character in spite of the fact that, yes, Brian Moser's dead, Christian. I'm sorry to keep telling you that. But, uh, <laughs> nope, uh, but nope, you, got nope, to, nope. you got to come back. You want to talk about that moment of like the call and then what it was like to come back on set for a second? It was wonderful to come back. Uh, it all started with, with uh, Clyde just calling me out of the blue. And I didn't even realize at that point that they were doing a new season of Dexter. Uh, and it was about six months before the fact. He just said, will you come in... Western Massachusetts 
uh, uh, sometime late this summer? And I said, yes, immediately. I mean, there was no question. I was thrilled. Uh, and knowing As were Clyde, we. <laughs> yeah, it, and Clyde, he had been the showrunner when I had done my season, and we'd had such a great, we had really become very good friends. And I just had a great trust in him uh, that if he was asking me to do this, it was going to be very smart and very sly. And of course, I can't say anything more about it, except that it was wonderful fun. Uh, there were a few people from the old days, but not many. There was you and Clyde and and uh, Jen and and Michael, but mainly it was just it was just great to be back. Well, hey, listen, thank you guys so much for coming on board, for talking the good old days, for being the very best big bads uh, out there. Um, oh, Scott. It was, you, you say mm-hmm. you say that to all the big bads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very kind of you to say, but I know you have more big bads coming yeah. that are down the road that's just going to wipe <laughs> us with a mop. So <laughs> I'll take the compliment now, but yes. unnecessary. And it's great to see Christian and Colin. I know. I mean, it's, really no, it's great to see you too. Wonderful guys. Yeah. Great memories. So great to see you guys. Thank you, Ice Truck Killer. Thank you, Trinity Killer. Thank you, Doomsday Killer. And that's a wrap for this week's episode. Listen every Tuesday and subscribe to the Dexter New Blood wrap-up wherever you get your podcasts. And watch Dexter New Blood, Sunday, starting November 7th, only on Showtime.